MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello. Welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, February 26, 2021. Today, the House Appropriations Committee grilled law enforcement about capital security. Cy Vance has received Trump's financial documents from Mazars, and there's over a million pages worth. Mitch McConnell pushes back on the insurrection commission rules proposed by Nancy Pelosi. Illinois has ended cash bail, and Costco raises its minimum wage to $16 an hour. I'm your host, A.G. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Happy Friday. Uh, We have a really great show for you lined up. I'm going to be speaking later in the show with former assistant director of the FBI for counterintelligence, Frank Figluzzi. Uh, And he and I are going to discuss some of the testimony that's been going on uh, on Capitol Hill regarding the National Guard deployment and law enforcement response to the insurrection. And also it has to do a lot with preparedness. And we'll discuss the um, the idea that's being pushed by a lot of uh, folks, and we keep hearing the phrase that there was a an intelligence failure. Uh, he and I disagree with that, so we'll be discussing that. There's a lot of news and a lot of headlines today. Things are breaking that, that weren't necessarily included in that intro that I just gave, and I'll be going over everything with you up to the minute uh, as, you know, as far as this recording goes. And, uh, of course, you can join... Dana and me every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on the Stereo app. Last night's uh, show was really fun. I appreciated that very much. And of course, uh, Andrew Torres and me will be, no, Andrew Torres and I (laughs) will be, uh, We'll be doing our live stereo show every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific and 8 Eastern. You can join in. You can ask questions. You can sing songs. We can have adult beverages. It is a lot of fun, and I really, really enjoy it. I hope you do, too. Just go uh, to download the app. It's free. Go to Stereo.com slash Allison Gill. Two L's and Allison. Two L's and Gill. And uh, download it and follow us. Follow at Allison Gill, at Torres, and at DG Comedy. Appreciate it. And we have a lot of news to get to. So let's do it. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. The lead story today is that Cy Vance, Manhattan District Attorney, has received over a million pages of Donald's financial documents from Mazars, and he's had them since Monday night. That means Mazars responded to the subpoena within hours of the Supreme Court decision that they had to hand them over. I had previously posited that it wouldn't take long. Uh, because Mazars had been ready to hand these documents over for a couple of years now. They were initially amenable to the subpoena until Trump sued to block the subpoena. I imagine we'll start seeing charges next month. This is Beans, by the way. I have no inside source on this, but I think we will start seeing charges in this case, uh, and, you know, and March, mid-April. Uh, again, that's conjecture. Uh, I want to repeat that I don't think Vance has been waiting for the tax return specifically. I'm pretty sure he's had those, either from Deutsche Bank, where he's been getting documents from them for over a year now. New York State probably gave Cy Vance, you know, the Trump Organization's state tax returns and Donald's state tax returns. And, of course, the New York Times had Trump's tax returns and did a scathing series of stories uh, leading up to the election last year. 
I think Vance is looking for a smoking gun document or documents where accountants advised against taking certain deductions or communicated about discrepancies between property valuations. So, for example, if you're a, a, an accounting firm and your client wants to break the law with regards to tax returns, to filing tax returns, you would write uh, a, a notice to, you know, waive liability. You would say, we're advising you against this. If those documents exist, that will prove intent or at least prove knowledge that, that Donald knew, or the Trump organization, Weisselberg, Donald Trump Jr., Eric Trump, knew that they were you know, filing false tax returns because the tax accountant isn't going to take the hit for that, right? You don't, you aren't going to risk your entire firm's reputation. And and they wouldn't now, especially since Donald's broke and everyone hates him. But we'll see, you know, we'll see. I could be totally wrong on that, but those are my beans. That's my feeling. I've been saying it for about a year now. After a year into the um, Mazar's case that went all the way up to the Supreme Court once and then walked, kicked back down to the district court and went all the way up to the Supreme Court again. I said, there's no way that Cy Vance would be hanging on to this case and fighting this case if it were just about the tax returns. That's just my feeling. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how it shakes out. We're not going to see those uh, documents or tax returns. Only the grand jury is going to see them. But we will see the crimes and the indictments that come out of them. So we'll know uh, what's what sort of crimes were committed as far as, as that is concerned. Now, to go on to the next story here, the House Appropriations Committee today questioned the current leaders of the Capitol security apparatus. As you'll remember, a joint Senate committee grilled the former leadership of the Capitol Police, Metro D.C. Police, and the House and Senate Sergeants-at-Arms um, a couple days ago. But today, there was a pretty aggressive exchange between Representative Catherine Clark, Democrat from Massachusetts, who asked if institutional racism and a culture of white supremacy played a role in the discrepancy between the intelligence received and the lack of preparation that left officers at the mercy of the mob. The current acting head of the United States Capitol Police said, that's Pittman, she said she had no evidence of that, but takes the issue of systemic racism seriously. I'm still cloudy on how Capitol Security could have possibly not received or had intelligence from the FBI when the memo was sent or that there was some sort of an intelligence failure. According to the acting chief of, of the Capitol Police, Sund actually made the request for National Guard troops to the Capitol, uh, the, the Capitol Police Board, two days prior to the attack. He asked for an emergency declaration, uh, which they rejected. An emergency declaration is required to approve the deployment of the National Guard from not only Sund, uh, apparently in order to have that approved, Irving and Stenger would have also had to request an emergency authorization. Um, the chief then testified that the board did not give, uh, receive a request for an emergency declaration from Irving and Stenger, so they rejected the emergency declaration. Sund has accused Irving of saying he didn't like the optics of the National Guard on the mall. That is a refrain repeated by Lieutenant General Pyatt, who you know I'm focused in on. He told Sund on the phone that he would run the request for National Guard troops up to the Army Secretary, but would recommend he deny deployment based on those optics as well. So the word optics is floating around quite a little bit here. And um, this is just in from the Daily Beast, actually. Pittman, now, the now acting chief of the Capitol Police, who testified today in front of the House Appropriations Committee, had pulled the phone records. Testifying before House Appropriations, um, her, her name is uh, Yogananda Pittman. She revealed that her predecessor called the House Sergeant-in-Arms, Paul Irving, 
at 12.58 p.m. to request National Guard as rioters were breaching the building and forcing lawmakers into hiding. Former Capitol Police Chief Stephen Sund, who resigned after the riot, called Irving again seven minutes later, according to the phone records pulled by Pittman, and then called him at least three more times uh, before 1.45 p.m. Those phone records verify my assertion that Sund was more often than not telling the truth, and Irving is sketch. So now we need to recall Irving to ask him about the discrepancies in his testimony, in my, in my humble opinion. The Senate Homeland Security and Rules Committee will hold a hearing next week with officials from the Pentagon, Department of Homeland Security, and the FBI, three entities that came under heavy criticism during the panel's first hearing on Tuesday. Former Capitol Police Chief Stephen Sund and acting D.C. Police Chief Robert Conti told senators that the Pentagon slow-walked their urgent pleas for assistance from the National Guard. They also indicated that they were not informed about intelligence reports suggesting that extremist groups were gearing up for violence. Now, Rep. Tim Ryan, this is kind of a new thing here, too, said today, he told uh, CNN Today, that the issue of tours uh, by rioters before the insurrection on January 5th has been turned over to the U.S. Attorney's Office. I'm assuming the D.C. U.S. Attorney And that's going to be really interesting because that's where, you know, people were saying that there were representatives giving capital tours on January 5th when capital tours had been shut down since last March because of the pandemic. Yet they were giving tours. There were also people, uh, as we know, insurrectionists that had maps of the inner workings and the inner tunnels uh, and hidden offices of of Congress, of, of, of the Capitol building. Those aren't available online. A lot of people were like, no, you're dumb. Those are available online. Anyone can get those. Not, not the tunnels and the secret offices. They aren't available online, they are, but they can be uh, obtained by members of Congress. So that's heating up. The next hearing for this is scheduled for next Wednesday. It'll feature testimony from Robert Celesis, Assistant Secretary of Defense for Homeland Defense and Global Securities from the Pentagon, Jill Sanborn, Assistant Director of the FBI's Counterterrorism Division, and Melissa Smyslova, who led the Department of Homeland Security's Office of Intelligence and Analysis. Also, on Tuesday, the acting chief of the U.S. Capitol Police and the acting Senate Sergeant-at-Arms briefed all senators on security measures around the Capitol, which have included thousands of National Guard troops and razor wire fencing around the whole complex. Senators said the briefing, which was not classified, did not convince them that the fencing and other enhanced security procedures need to remain in place. The briefing did not shed new light or include information that is not already public. Uh, And like I said, I'll be speaking with Frank Figluzzi a bit later to discuss the refrain we keep hearing, that the Capitol Security Forces did not receive intelligence or there was an intelligence failure. And that is why they were not prepared. Now, on to Marjorie Taylor Greene. Apparently, she has a close ally that was present at the attack on the Capitol. From K-File reporters at CNN, Andrew uh, Kaczynski and M. Steck, in tweets from the Capitol insurrection, Green falsely suggested that those who had broken into the Capitol were not Republicans, but they were Antifa dressed as Trump supporters. When in fact, Anthony Aguero, a conservative live streamer, activist, and associate of Marjorie Taylor Greene, said on a video following the January 6th assault on the Capitol that he'd been among those who entered and attacked those who falsely claimed it was done by Antifa. He says, quote, we were all there. It was not Antifa and it was not Black Lives Matter. It was Trump supporters uh, that did that yesterday. I'm the first to admit it being one myself. That's according to a video he posted January 7th. I walked amongst all those people, he said. And there were several videos that he posted to social media, which some of which he had since deleted. 
Green and Aguero have worked closely together over the years on causes such as immigration and the border wall uh, and have attended pro-Trump rallies together. In many since-deleted videos saved by CNN's K-File, Green repeatedly calls Aguero amazing and a friend. On social media, Aguero has called Green one of my closest friends. In a video posted by Aguero on January 6th on Instagram, he can be heard cheering on from a distance those trying to enter the Capitol chanting, Heave Ho! as a mob of rioters push against Capitol Police. In a comment, Aguero wrote MAGA under the video. In another video posted from the steps of the Capitol, he can be heard chanting, Our House! and later described those who broke in as patriots and commented, hashtag Patriots Save America 2021. Not Antifa BLM. And immediate, that's immediately following the attack. Aguero posted a video on January 10th of some entering the Capitol, though it's unclear if Aguero himself took the footage. Uh, when reached for comment, Aguero told CNN that the videos uploaded are not mine. They're screen recorded from other posts. Aguero did not respond to further questions, uh, asking to specify which videos were screen recorded. He appears on camera in two videos and can be heard speaking in others, so it's clearly not all of them. Before publication, it appears Aguero deleted the video from January 6th, in which he appears on camera, saying he was able to make it inside. He did not respond to CNN's question on that either. Aguero confirmed to CNN he was at the Capitol and said he was an independent journalist there reporting on the events. He also reiterated his support for Marjorie Taylor Greene. I fully support Marjorie Taylor Greene. We need more great people like her. God bless her and her family. That's what he said. Now, Aguero and Greene have worked closely together, uh, particularly before her run for Congress. They, they spoke together at that pro-border wall rally in Washington in February 2019, uh, visited lawmakers' offices together, made a trip along the border together, sat together in a special backstage section of a Trump rally in February 2019, Aguero frequently spoke of working with and supporting her throughout 2019. El Paso-based videographer, who sometimes goes by the moniker Conservative Anthony, frequently documented the activities of the right-wing activists and militias, including the Guardian Patriots, the Border Militia Group, formerly known as the United Constitutional Patriots, and the Proud Boys. Aguero also has a history of criminal violence. According to online court records, in 2010, he pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor family violence assault, causing serious bodily injury. In 2015, he was convicted of felony vehicular assault while intoxicated and sentenced to two years in a Texas state prison. When Green was temporarily banned from Facebook in May of 2019, she used Aguero's page to live stream. He has spent much of January and February expressing support for her on social media as well. She was recently photographed with Aguero in Washington at the March for Trump rally, also known as the Million MAGA March, on November 14, 2020, when Green spoke. Following Green's speech, Aguero can be seen accompanying her offstage in a video of the rally, a November tweet of the pair at the rally was linked by Green. Aguero was also with Green in February 2019 when she delivered a petition to impeach Nancy Pelosi for treason and suggested the speaker should be executed. Aguero frequently posted on social media ahead of the January 6th rally that preceded the riot. In archived posts from the conservative social media website Parler, Aguero shows posts for, uh, from conspiracy theorist Alex Jones and Proud Boy leader Enrique Tarrio. And inside the Capitol, Marjorie Taylor Greene is going after Democratic Representative Newman and her family. When Rep. Newman put up a transgender flag in the hallway where her office is, which is across the hall from Marjorie Taylor Greene's office, Greene responded, first of all, by tweeting at Newman, referring to Newman's daughter as her son, and then put up a sign in the hallway saying, there are two genders, trust the science. Newman responded, she's welcome to her sign, but no one is buying it, and that's not science. And, coming as no surprise to anyone, Mitch McConnell is pushing back on Pelosi's first draft of the Insurrection Commission legislation, calling it partisan by design. 
He he rejected it because they wanted to have Nancy wanted to have Democrats have a seven four majority on the panel, um, and he he he's suggesting other things. To, he's saying we could narrow it down, you know, very specifically uh, to you know just the security on Capitol Hill. Um, he, he quote, we could do something narrow that looks at the Capitol, or we could potentially do something broader to analyze the full scope of political violence in this country. He's talking about Black Lives Matter. Uh, we cannot land on some artificial politicized halfway point. Steny Hoyer pushed back, arguing that Pelosi does not want the commission to be focused on defending Trump or others who may have been involved or who may have been perpetrators themselves. A senior House Democratic aide emphasized that the speaker's initial proposal was a discussion draft and Republicans were offered a chance to propose edits. The true holdup is a push from Republicans like McConnell to broaden the commission's purview to include other, quote, mob-like attacks across the country, an angle that Democrats consider irrelevant to reviewing the origins of the insurrection, a singular event. But Nancy Pelosi is now agreeing to make concessions with McConnell to her initial draft, saying she would support a commission with an equal number of independent commissioners appointed by each party. I'll have more uh, for you on this legislation as it develops. And good news from the Times. Illinois has become the first state to completely eliminate cash bail, a result of a push by state legislators and the practice that they say keeps poor people in jail for months awaiting trial and disproportionately affects black and Latino defendants. Uh, This change is part of a sweeping law signed by Governor Pritzker, a Democrat, on Monday. He says the legislation would transform the state's legal system and increase accountability measures for police officers, such as requiring the use of body-worn cameras by police. Mm -hmm. Statewide. Good idea. Quote, this legislation marks a substantial step toward dismantling the systemic racism that plagues our communities, our state, and our nation, and brings us closer to true safety, true fairness, and true justice. That's uh, Governor Pritzker speaking there. Over the years, New Jersey, California, and New York have limited the use of bail, a system that opponents have criticized as unfair to poor people who are forced to remain in detention even though they have not been convicted of the charges that led to their arrest. Supporters of the elimination of cash bail have pointed to cases like that of Khalif Browder, who was 16 when he was ordered and held for three years at Rikers Island because his family could not afford a $3,000 bail. Mr. Browder, who was accused of stealing a backpack, killed himself two years after his release when he was 22. Under Illinois' new law, judges will no longer be able to set any kind of bail for a defendant charged with a crime, making it unique among states that have reformed the bail system. Now, judges now will be presented with evidence to determine what kind of risk releasing a defendant poses to the community and whether the defendant can be counted on to return to court. A judge will then determine if the person should be held in detention until trial. The cash bail system will not be abolished until January 2023, giving court officials time to prepare for the new system. I'm very interested to see if this could backfire against disenfranchised communities by having more of them held um, or remanded because there's no bail system, then let out as they let the white folks out. We'll see. And uh, we'll be keeping an eye on this. Uh, but it'll be great. It'll be a great uh, pilot to, to see how this, the, you know, um, eliminating cash bail could work in other parts of the country, because I am also against the cash bail system. And we need to figure out how to do it equitably and fairly. And so it's the other, you know, that, that the pendulum doesn't swing too far the other way, and we end up incarcerating more people than we should. And finally, Costco plans to edge up its starting wage to $16 an hour starting next week. Uh, The CEO, Jelinek, said on Thursday that he's revealing plans that would uh, propel his company ahead of most of its competitors. Costco raising its pay to $15 per hour in 2019. 
um, didn't have that big of an impact on them. More than half of Costco's hourly workers in the U.S. are paid above $25. Jelinek told the Senate Budget Committee during a hearing on pay-at-large retail and fast food employers um, that, you know, that um, that most of, you know, most of his employees had already been earning high wages. So this just made sense. And Costco employs like 180,000 people. Quote, I want to note this is an altruism. At Costco, we know that paying employees good wages makes sense for business and constitutes a significant competitive advantage for us. It helps us in the long run by minimizing turnover and maximizing employee productivity. Whoa, what a concept. Jelinek's testimony comes as Congress prepares to vote on legislation that aims to gradually increase the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour by 2025, a campaign pledge by Biden. Uh, the federal minimum wage has been stuck at seven twenty-five an hour since 2009. And Capitol Hill waited Thursday for the Senate parliamentarian to weigh in on whether the chamber's rules would permit Democrats to add the $15 minimum wage to the $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief package. Uh, the decision will be by Elizabeth McDonough, the chief Senate parliamentarian, and it will set the stage for an intense debate among Democrats about how to proceed on the contentious provision. Well, contentious for some, I guess. Democrats who can't afford to lose a single vote among their own ranks to pass a bill in an evenly divided Senate have split over the push to raise the federal minimum wage, which would boost it to $15 an hour. Quote, we're waiting, as we all are, to hear from the Senate parliamentarian as to what will happen with the minimum wage piece of the legislation. That's something Pelosi said on Thursday. She says, I feel we have a very, very strong argument. And we have a very big need in our country to pass it. The minimum wage increase is the most divisive issue in the aid package, which Democrats broadly support. The package would also provide a $1,400 payment to many Americans, extend and enhance federal unemployment, send $350 billion in aid to state and local governments, that's huge, and pour new funding into vaccine distribution, food stamps, and schools. Democratic and Republican staff made their arguments before the parliamentarian Wednesday morning on the minimum wage provision and have been waiting to hear since the recommendation. Now, Quote, I know we're all on pins and needles, said John Cornyn of Texas. Uh, I believe that the correct ruling would be to say the budget process cannot be used to pass substantive legislation. Now, Democrats are using a process called budget reconciliation to pass the aid package, as you know, with a simple majority rather than, you know, that's to circumvent the, the filibuster. But reconciliation comes with Senate rules on what can be proposed and approved, uh, including that provision. Uh, and it has to be directly tied to the budget. The measure must be determined to have meaningful fiscal impact that can't be incidental to the policy proposal. So if McDonough rules that the minimum wage increase is eligible, Democrats will have to reach a consensus among themselves on how to structure it. Um, and while many Democrats, including the party's progressive wing, have embraced raising the, the wage, several senators have qualms about it. Some are concerned about the impact it would have on businesses and restaurants. Joe Manchin, the party's most prominent moderate, has said he would try to amend the wage to $11 an hour. Other lawmakers have explored offering tax relief to small businesses or phasing in the wage more slowly for smaller businesses. Quote, putting $15 out there right now just makes it difficult in rural America, said Mr. Manchin. I guess he didn't get the memo that it's going to be slowly uh, <laughs> until 2025. Biden has says he expects the, the parliamentarian to say the minimum wage cannot be part of the bill. So if that happens, Democrats face a different set of decisions. Some progressives have said they would push for the White House and lawmakers in the Senate to ignore her ruling, which they can with a majority vote, but they might not have the votes to do that. Several senators have said they would be uncomfortable with doing that. Um, and Ron Klain also says that, chief of staff to Biden. Ignoring the parliamentarian is not something we'll do, 
Ron Klain said, he told MSNBC, we'll work within the rules of the Senate to get the bill passed. And this just in, the House has passed the Equality Act by a vote of 224 to 206 with three Republicans joining Democrats in a yes vote. Those three Republicans who um, believe all people are equal are Brian Fitz, John Katko, and Tom Reed. The rest of the Republicans, 206 of them, don't think all people are equal, I guess. And we'll be right back with Frank Faglusi to discuss the intelligence piece of the insurrection preparedness. And later I'll be joined by Amy Carrero for the good news. It's going to be a great day, so stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG for The Daily Beans. Today's episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Finding great candidates to hire can be like trying to find a needle in a haystack. Sure, you can post your job on some job board, but then all you can do is hope the right person comes along, which is why you should try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Beans. ZipRecruiter does the work for you, all of it. When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 top job sites with one click. And then ZipRecruiter's amazing matching technology finds people with the right skills and experience for your specific job and then actively invites them to apply. And you get qualified candidates fast with ZipRecruiter. So while other services may overwhelm you with a bunch of applications that you have to sift through, ZipRecruiter finds what you're looking for, the needle in the haystack. In fact, ZipRecruiter is so effective, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Beans. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Beans, D-A-I-L-Y-B-E-A-N-S. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Beans. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's been a pretty incredible few days of testimony on Capitol Hill about the delay in the deployment of National Guard troops before and during the insurrection. And joining me to discuss this is former assistant director of the FBI for counterintelligence and author of the book, The FBI Way, Frank Figluzzi. Frank, welcome. Thanks for having me, AG. Yeah, I'm really, I've been excited to talk to you now for, for a couple of days because the the resounding refrain coming from a lot of the folks testifying on Capitol Hill, first to the Joint Senate Committee and, and uh, today to the House Appropriations Committee, is that there was some sort of intelligence failure. And I was wondering if I could get your top line thoughts on that, what seems to me to be, uh, after listening to a lot of this testimony, kind of a baseless accusation. Yep. I um, I hate to split hairs, but it's, it's not an intelligence failure, but rather it is a failure to act upon Upon available intelligence. And so I, I, my head was almost going to explode on the joint session uh, hearing because I, if I heard another former law enforcement executive or current uh, law enforcement executive say um, the intelligence just wasn't there, I, I really was going to lose it. Um, the, the intelligence was there and I saw it and boy, I'm not someone who spends my days studying extremist groups. I, I don't, but I, I do get plugged into it. And and yeah, I saw it developing at least two weeks prior to the insurrection. And and what really got me is here here's the thing. I'm not saying that these witnesses are lying. I'm saying it's worse than that. We if 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 we have a witness lying to Congress, we have laws against lying to Congress and we can deal with that. What I'm saying is I think they were telling the truth, which is worse because what they're really telling us, we should listen to this. What they're really telling us is, yeah, 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 no, I, I saw I saw some of this intelligence. I, I yep. And uh, just didn't point to uh, an insurrection at the Capitol. And what, what that tells me is we're in a we're in a really bad place. Twenty five years after the Oklahoma City bombing 
pulled off by a couple of white guys. We still don't have a domestic terrorism law. We seem collectively to be unable to view ourselves as a threat, especially when that threat looks a lot like we do. And we seem very easily to view others as a threat, even if the intelligence isn't there um, like it was for January 6th. Yeah. And to, to like, maybe you could help explain to some folks um, regarding uh, the FBI way, if you will, uh, intelligence isn't prescriptive, right? It's not like a, the intelligence report memo will come to you and say, uh, here's what we're hearing. Here's what you should do. Uh, the intelligence is here's what we're hearing. And it's really up to law enforcement to decide how to respond. Isn't is that am I correct in that? Yeah, I, you, you're making a good point um, for a couple of reasons. I believe I believe it was the current acting chief of uh, D.C. Metropolitan Police that said something like, um, you know, even though I, I, I saw that email belatedly about the FBI Norfolk report and, you know, that was unvetted intelligence. Well, okay, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. There's, <laughs> there's intelligence comes in many forms, and some of the most valuable intelligence you can get in terms of exigent circumstances is to push out something that's raw. It's called raw or unvetted or unfiltered, or you know, it's not got a nice polish and and all kinds of pages of nuance to it. And so, you know, if people and then similarly, I think it was former um, Chief Sund who said something like, you know, um, this uh, this really wasn't, um, you know, something we could distinguish as between aspirational or not. And, okay, that that is by definition the nature of intelligence, at least part of what intelligence is. So if they're looking for somebody to hit them over the head and say, hey, buddy, um, you're going to get attacked at 2 p.m. and um, this is what you should do and this is how many resources you should have and this is your perimeter and this is your tactical team deployment area. Um, that's not that's not the job of intelligence providers. No, no. And we learned that from probably the most famous piece of raw intelligence, uh, the, the the Steele dossier, right? Mm. It's, it's like, this is raw intelligence. And when they went to the FISA court, they said, this is raw intelligence and here's how we got it. And and it, it just, it seems like those who are in receipt of raw intelligence don't really understand what that means. It, it's also, you know, I've heard people say this was a failure of imagination. And yeah, I guess maybe, but boy, that's a polite phrase for you really don't see a threat when number one, it looks like you. Number two, it's aligned with the guy who's in power or has been in power and maybe is the guy you voted for. Um, and and so failure of imagination. Yeah, I I, I, I think a, a real example of failure of imagination was 9-11 when FBI field offices, namely Phoenix and Minneapolis, were telling headquarters, hey, there's guys taking flying lessons who only want to learn how to take off. And we're really concerned. And I, and that's and, and headquarters just kind of went, you, you know, I don't even understand what you're talking about. You're crazy. And that's a failure of imagination. But. It's not at all a failure of imagination when there are, are social media posts from known violent extremists saying um, we need to breach the Capitol police barrier at the Capitol on, on January 6th. That's you don't need any imagination for that. And so the problem I have is when I factor in 
the legal constraints. And by the way, we're going to hear a lot about that in testimony next week from FBI officials. And there are very valid legal constraints to protect our civil liberties and free speech. And we're going to hear a lot about what the FBI can and can't look at. Um, and we don't want them looking at all of our social media posts, but we're going to hear that. And then even if you factor in political intervention, delays, political delays and deliberately delaying uh, National Guard deployment or reaching in and telling people, you know, we don't like the optics. OK, I still say when at the end of the day, we're not looking at ourselves as a threat. And that that has to change. That bias has to change. It's collectively in all of us. But you know what? You've, we've all seen famous videos of Secret Service agents getting in between a bullet and their protected. You know, you, you need only to think back to uh, the Ronald Reagan shooting and um, the agent Tim McCarthy, who literally spread his body out in front of Reagan, knowing he was going to take it, take rounds. Um, that you know what that's about? That's about instinctively training out um, a human tendency to run in the opposite direction of a threat. And you can do that. Law enforcement runs into trouble every single day against their human instincts because they've been trained to do so. We've got to train our intelligence collectors and our agents and officers to avoid the natural human instinct to view people who look like us as just fine, just okay. And so that's got to get trained out of us. Yeah. And Sund sort of drove that point home where he said we had tons of preparation and protection for the protests in, in the summer and none for this. Um, and also the, the now it seems like there's the human instinct to cover your ass. It seems like it was a, it's a big cover your ass festival going on. Uh, with with a lot of these lawmakers when what they should be doing is just saying just saying what happened so that we can prevent this from happening again. And also it also, you know, protects you from lying to Congress. But there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, and I'll get it. I'll, get, I'll ask you a couple of specific questions about that. But it just it seemed like people were more worried about how good or bad their agency looked as opposed to just getting to the bottom of what happened so we can prevent it again. And, and, and that, that drives me bananas, as I'm sure it does you as well. And you wrote a piece saying specifically that the Senate wasn't asking the hard questions. And I was wondering, you know, I read that piece at MSNBC. Could you t tell us just a, a little briefly about what questions you were screaming at your television? Well, so, so first, the repeated mantra that we kept hearing of the intelligence wasn't there, is that needs to get refuted by the senators who should be displaying exhibit after exhibit of social media posts and saying, um, do, you, do you think this is a threat? Do you think this is a threat? Does it, and, and then say, did anybody on your 30 member intelligence unit at the Capitol Police, did any of those analysts see any of these posts? That's the question, because I think they did. In fact, we know they prepared a heck of a memo um, saying that there would be trouble. So it's not that the intel wasn't there. The real hard question, AG, is why don't you see this as a threat? And I realize that's an abstract, deep cultural bias question that maybe, you know, these folks just aren't equipped to answer right now. But, you know, I wrote a book called The FBI Way, and the FBI is testifying um, in the coming days on this topic. And what I'd like to see, because it's consistent with the FBI way of owning up to mistakes is I'd like to see the FBI officials say, hey, look, 
yes, I want you to know there are heavy, heavy legal constraints on what we can see on social media and look at. And yes, um, we don't have a domestic terrorism law and we need one. But comma, we can't we we miss the boat on seeing as seeing white Americans as a threat because you, you just can't get around it. You, you cannot get around it. And the, and the faster that they say something like that and say, we've got to retrain ourselves, we've got to weed out bias, our decision makers at FBI headquarters need to look more like America so that they see threats through a different lens, maybe a lens of people of color, perhaps. Um, that That's the kind of thing that I would like to hear instead of yeah, you know, we're we're handcuffed on this. And yeah, we um, we did everything fine. And it's everybody else's fault. Mm, yeah, uh, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I do have a couple more questions about a little bit of Sund and Irving's testimony. Uh, but I have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? Sure. All right, everybody, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG from the Daily Beans. This portion of the pod is brought to you by American Giant. They are my new favorite clothing company because they believe in quality over quantity. Back in the 60s, mid-mod times, the average American only bought 25 items of clothing a year. Today, we average 67. And despite buying two and a half times more clothes, we only keep them half as long. Plus, in the average American closet, 82% of our clothes haven't been worn in the last 12 months. Can confirm. American Giant believes clothes should be wearable for years, so you don't have to buy more than you need. 60% of the clothes we buy end up in landfills within a year. And... That's, you know, because that happens because big apparel companies are constantly finding ways to cut corners and they make cheap clothes that don't last. Mega corporations turn out really just low quality stuff and they prioritize profits over people. And that hollows out communities and it fills junkyards. And if we had clothing that we could wear just 50 more times, we would reduce our CO2 emissions by 400 percent. Uh, And that's, I mean, that's the equivalent of carpooling with three friends every day. American Giant makes clothing that's durable and built to last, not disposable. I recently got their women's blizzard full zip, weatherproof nylon shell on top for warmth. It is perfect for this cold weather. It's so warm and cozy. All you need is some mittens and you're the next Bernie Sanders meme. To, uh, to me, it feels really good to be supporting local communities and buying amazingly high-quality clothes made right here in America. So choose American Giant. It means you're supporting a supply chain that's 100% in the USA, and it takes a stand for conscious consumerism, hardworking people, local communities, and quality clothes made to last. Get 15% off your order when you use promo code DAILYBEANS at American-Giant.com. That's 15% off when you use code DAILYBEANS at American-Giant.com. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking to uh, Frank Fogluzzi about uh, the testimony we've been hearing in the Joint Senate Committee and the House Appropriations Committee regarding the deployment of National Guard troops and and the actions of law enforcement on the ground during the insurrection. And, uh, Frank, I wanted to ask you about this little uh, tete-a-tete between Sund and Irving, because after the Senate hearing, I I got just a sense— I just it, my my gut was telling me something's up with Irving and the acting chief of the U.S. Capitol Police testified today that Sund did actually request an emergency declaration two days before the attack, made that request to the Board of Capitol Police, who rejected that request. Now, assuming that's true, that seems like they had the intel that they needed. Yeah, bingo. Um, you, you've got it there. And that that also gets to the hard questions not being asked. I, I think I think the Senate was 
sensitive to the fact that these guys got essentially booted and now they're voluntarily testifying. So they didn't want to completely um, break them over the coals. But we got to we got to get to the bottom of this. This is this. This was a easy treatment of these folks. I think I think the, the real one of the hard questions is the political hand in, in all of this. And I I think um, emergency de- declaration being de- de- denied in, not only indicates that there was intel intelligence available showing a risk and a threat, but but also gets to the issue of the convoluted chain of command of the Capitol Police. Whenever you get politicians or politically appointed people in the mix of chain of police command, it's a disaster. And, you know, one of the things that really struck me on that testimony was when um, one of the senators asked Sund to simply explain who's in charge of the Capitol Police. Simple question, right? He his response was after a pause was. I think, first two words out of his mouth, I think it's the Capitol Police Board. Okay. And then he continues. He's not done yet. Then he says, um, well, you know, there's the Senate Sergeant at Arms and then there's the House Sergeant at Arms. And then, you know, we've got the Speaker and we've got the Senate Majority. Yeah. He goes, that, that's my understanding of how it works. Yeah. That, that's my understanding. Holy mackerel. I mean, <laughs> ask any anybody in any job in America who their boss is, and they'll probably be able to name their boss. This guy, his, it's ruled by committee, he thinks. It, it's, a, it's a recipe for disaster, particularly in a crisis. Mm. Yeah, it's a strong argument for D.C. statehood as well. Um, and we also learned today uh, that Pittman, who is now the acting chief of the Capitol Police, had pulled the phone records and proved that Sund did call Irving at 109 and then three more times before 145 and that the former Capitol Police chief called Irving as well at 1258. And that bolsters Sund's testimony and debunks Irving's testimony. So not only uh, do I think we need to recall Irving to do some of that raking over the coals that you were talking about, but ask him, like, you know, what the hell. But this supports the testimony that, again, that they did have the intel, as Sund had said, we were going to the board of the Capitol Police two days prior to the riot. And I guess the Capitol Police declined to declare an emergency situation because Irving and Stenger also have to make that request in order for it to be approved. Yeah, and this gets to the to the root of, you know, politically oriented people in in power and and um, the irony here would be that sergeants at arms would be the ones to enforce a failure to comply with congressional subpoena and, <laughs> and, um, and we we might have a former we might end up in a few days with a former sergeant at arms not complying with what would be likely a senate subpoena yeah, I could see that happening, too, because I think Irving is, needs to be put back in the hot seat. Now, you said next Wednesday, uh, uh, Jill Sanborn, assistant director of the FBI's counterterrorism division, is going to be testifying to the Joint Senate Committee, along with officials from the Department of Homeland Security and the Pentagon. What do you expect we'll hear from from Jill Sanborn at the FBI? So so first, just a little background. Um, by all accounts, Jill is a highly qualified, talented a woman who just happens to head the number one priority in the FBI. Um, so um, that I think I think that's that's actually pretty important to to understand that there's never been a female head of counterterrorism in the FBI, and she's worked her way up very uh, skillfully, and and she's very deserving of the position. 
Um, it's interesting that it's not going to be the director. Uh, the director is going to come later, it appears, in yet another hearing next week that I've been notified about. Um, and we'll allegedly hear from him. And that will happen. Chris Ray. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Excellent. And that looks like midweek as well next week in a separate hearing, if I've got my, my facts right from NBC News. So um, I, I expect more brass tacks operational um, testimony from uh, Jill Sanborn on things like uh, when Intel analyses were brought to headquarters attention, who said what to whom when, what lawyers, I, I'm, I'm hearing, AG, that FBI and DOJ lawyers played a role in, in, in this, in that they were very concerned about what constituted infringement on civil liberties or not in terms of what could and couldn't get watched and monitored and reported. Um, and I'd like to hear more about that. You know, this is ironic. We're sitting here um, in a democracy and we're, we, we generally applaud um, legal constraints on anything that infringes on our civil liberties. And now we may be sitting here next week going, God darn it, the lawyers actually created a problem here. And, and they were trying to protect us. It's very, very interesting. Um, and we'll need to hear that. We may hear a reminder that we still don't hear to have a domestic terrorism law. We have no mechanism of, of declaring certain groups domestic terror groups. We, we may hear all of that, but I think what, what I need to hear most from the, the head of counterterrorism at FBI is, what's the deal with sending emails on a, on a potential violent act at the Capitol uh, the night before it's going to happen? What, what happened to picking up the phone what where was Washington field office on this? And did we just kind of write off as insignificant what even FBI field offices said could be violent? Yeah. And speaking of the pendulum swinging the other way, kind of how it did after 9-11 to be sort of overprotective, um, potentially, Uh with regards to your assertion that we need a domestic terrorism law, I've had a few folks after um, you and I discussed that ask what is to stop bad actors from utilizing a domestic terrorism law in the wrong way, say, to prevent First Amendment speech? How could we prevent that from happening? Yep. Um, this is the seminal question around whether or not we should have a domestic terrorism law. And and I'm surprised it was only a few people who brought that up with you. So um, because I get it all the time. And here's here's the deal. Um, I want to here's what I advocate and what I'm not advocating. I am not advocating that we um, develop a mechanism to designate groups and organizations, terror organizations domestically. We do it internationally. We do it for Al-Qaeda, ISIS, Boko Haram, and a long list of, of state-sponsored and other terrorist groups internationally. But I am in complete agreement that if we start designating domestic terror groups, we will have a president, and by the way, we just had one, who will tweet out one day, I hereby declare Antifa, a domestic terrorism organization, which... President, former President Trump actually tried to do. The good news was we had no mechanism to comply with his tweet. So, um, yep, that would be abusive because in a heartbeat, presidents would be declaring their enemies domestic terrorists. Okay, I'm talking about a domestic terrorism law that simply says if you do something that matches the description 
of domestic terrorism, which is on the books in the United States Code. We have a definition legally of domestic terrorism. And you know what it is? It's violence or force for the purpose of coercing or intimidating a government or civilian population to promote a social or political objective. It's actually pretty pretty clear. And what the statute would say, if I were waving a magic wand, would say, if you did that, you committed domestic terrorism. And, and so it would not, this would not be ideology. It would not be hate speech. It would not be rhetoric. It would be, if you're fixing to get ready to blow something up for these reasons, or you already did, you're, you're committing domestic terrorism. And I think for those who say this is a slippery slope to abuses and overreach, I say, I come at this differently. I say it's the lack of a well-defined, concise law that creates abuses and overreach. And that if we wrote the law correctly and we're able to point to it and say, hey, these people did this right here. See, it says right here, right here, they did that. And then, then law enforcement ha- almost has to act at that point. If you look about, about uh, look at abuses and overreach, look at J. Edgar Hoover against <laughs> against um, the Black Panthers, Martin Luther King, um, and others. Um, why? Because really, when it came down to it, he didn't like their ideology. He was scared out of his mind about what he called a quote unquote a black messiah coming and rising up out of out of the black community, and so. He had he did everything extrajudiciously. He did everything outside the law. He he planted bugs and 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 um, and blackmailed people and pit one group against the other and and it was a it was a, a, actually a masterful but un, highly unlawful program. COINTELPRO it was called, and and we we've we've we should have learned that actually you need laws to prevent what Hoover did. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it sounds to me kind of like what you're recommending is uh, sort of like our hate crimes designation. I, I am um, because it, that hate crime statute works because it's really well defined. You know, here, here, if you're doing the following things for the following reasons, skin color, you know, religion, protected classes, um, then you, then here we go. And what we're saying about in hate, I like the analogy because what we're saying with hate crimes is, you know what? Yes, maybe you just assaulted somebody, right? But it's why you did it and why, and, and the fact that why you did it is against what we stand for. So it's one thing to punch somebody on the street because you don't like their, their, the tie they're wearing, but it's another thing if you attack somebody on the street because of their skin color or sexual orientation or religion, because it's those things that we protect fiercely in our democracy. And we give you an extra sentence because of how we feel about that. But yet um, we won't do that for uh, an attempt to rob us of our democracy on January 6th. We're going to arrest you for assault or trespass. It's very interesting. Yeah, that just it, it's kind of struck me like that. Like it's sort of a a designation more than a more than a being able to designate a group, right? It's designating a an action. Uh, and I think that that might as you know, that would probably solve a lot of problems. But I, I appreciate your candor. Thank you so much for coming on today. Everybody really check out the book, The FBI Way. It's really wonderful. And uh, you just appeared on Talking Feds. You should everyone should check out that podcast, too. Uh, I appreciate your time today. Frank Figluzzi, thanks for being here. Anytime, AG. Thanks for having me. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. 
Hello everyone, it's AG for the Beans. This segment of the pod is brought to you by Helix Sleep. Uh, I'm pretty unique, right? I'm a unique individual, and you are as well. And that's why Helix Sleep mattresses are the best. They're designed with this in mind, recognizing we're all unique and each of us sleeps a little differently. Helix Sleep customizes your mattress to fit you in the way you sleep best. And we all have trouble sleeping from time to time. I haven't slept well for the past four years, as you know, but I found Helix Sleep, thankfully, because Helix Sleep created the sleep quiz. It takes two minutes to complete, and they use the answers to match your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. It's like, if, you know, this wonderful, incredible sleeping on a cloud feeling, because if you like a mattress that's plush or firm, or if you sleep on your side or your back or your stomach, or if you sleep really hot, with Helix, there is a specific mattress for each and everyone's unique taste. I was matched to the Helix Midnight, because I like my bed medium firm. I sleep on my side, so it's perfect for me. But you don't have to take my word for it. Helix was awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2019 and 2020 by GQ and Wired. So just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. It's really, truly amazing. They have a 10-year warranty, so you get to try it out, and they have 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. And Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders for listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $200 off. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll blow And it's Friday, and that means Amy is here. Amy Carrero, how are you? Friday, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Ooh, ooh. I'm good. I'm good. It's been a it's been a good week. There's been a lot of news this week. We, so we much got through news. It today. Yeah. My my A block today was like 25 Stacked. minutes long, and then Stacked. yes, yesterday I couldn't have any guests. I had to take the whole 45 minutes Whoa. to read all the news. It was amazing. Bananas. And we still we're still waiting on a bunch of stuff. We're waiting on the parliamentarian yeah. to determine whether or not fifteen bucks an hour can be put in the budget reconciliation coronavirus bill. We're waiting to for the um, Jamal, Jamal Khashoggi yeah. report to come out, um, which we already know um, from people familiar with the report that it does get you know put the blame on Mohammed bin Salman. But right, yeah, we don't know uh, we don't know what else is in there. But but Biden did have his call with the king today. Yeah, I love how Jen Psaki was like, um, he will not be speaking to the prince. He is the president of the United States. He talks to the king. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I know. I was like, dude, shade Kushner. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so there's still a lot more news that'll be coming out over the weekend. We'll get, we'll get to it all Monday, but we have listener submitted good news right now. We have confessions and corrections. We have a couple of cases for Amy's court. We have a couple oh, of duh moments. And I don't know if you were with us um, when we started this new trend, but like, uh, yes, Dana the and duh. I were, yeah. yeah, love it. Yeah. So we have a few of those too. So it should be a really fun segment today. So to kick off the weekend let's do it let's um let's start with lana lana writes in pronouns she and her hello from arizona some random self cue for a long long time thoughts some good news and a hot dog recommendation (laughs) Uh uh-oh the famous hot dog (laughs) toppings (laughs) uh, she says i once had a neighbor who named their dog canardly for can hardly tell what kind of breed the rescue is love the name (laughs) Uh, and that would be a name for the breed section so what we've been doing amy is people have been sending in photos of their dogs and we guess what what their mixes oh my gosh so good yeah i love that canardly canardly come here (laughs) 
I love it. <laughs> Can hardly tell what kind of dog it is. Uh, my hubby, she continues, 81-year-old mom and I have been in self-quarantine for almost a year and have gotten all our vaccines. We're feeling so blessed. Back yes. last summer, the birds in my neighborhood adopted me, especially the hummingbirds. I named them separately at first as something to keep my mind busy, then decided to name them all Kevin <laughs> in honor of Mueller, she wrote. <laughs> my hubby doesn't quite understand my maniacal laugh when I call them Kevin, but you all do. <laughs> Uh, and then she says, hot dogs in Arizona are the best. First, they grill the snot out of them, wrap them in bacon, smother them with onions, fried onions, mayo, cilantro, mustard, Yum. ketchup, avocado, salsa, corn, and of course, beans, all on a cloud soft steamed bun. I present the Sonoran hot dog. Love you all. Oh, that looks delicious. Look, that that looks so good. I am not a hot dog purist. I really believe that hot dogs can be enjoyed, you know, in their original version or all souped up. I love them all. And this one looks incredible. Mm -hmm. They really are a vehicle for other foods you want to eat. Yes, absolutely. They're a vehicle for toppings. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Okay, next up, we've got Marete. Nope, Marete. Pronounced Marete. Is that right? Yeah, Marete. Yeah, she's written it a few times. We love Marete. Okay. Hey, Marete. uh, Pronounced she, her. Confession of misconstrued song lyrics. In the song You Oughta Know, Alanis Morissette sings about the cross I bear that you gave to me. For the longest time, I was convinced it was the cross I'd bear that you gave to me. As I imagine some kind of deformed teddy bear gift. You know what? This is this makes sense. I'm not even I can't even be mad at that. Like that makes a lot of sense. And I'm here to, to remind, remind you, you of the uh, cross-eyed bear that you gave to me. Oh yeah, I can hear oh it. Oh my god. Can you imagine like the, the confrontation of I am so mad at this teddy bear you gave me? Okay. For pod pet tax, I am continuing the tale of the puppy who likes to surgically remove it's oh yeah. I remember Marente. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who likes to surgically remove insoles from our shoes. Charlie is a super sweet puppy who loves to hang out with his sister's, my sister's youngest daughter and participates in any and all activities with her. He writes in her doll stroller, uh, takes him on the slide on the playground and lets her put pretty bows in his hair. The other day, he even let her put a bib on him before she hand fed him. Oh my God. (laughs) This is so... Look at this. What is this? The bow. I love the little dog on her lap slide down the slide. It's too much. And the bow. Oh, adorb. Adorb. Otherworldly. Otherworldly. <sighs> Next up, the cross-eyed bear. <laughs> the cross-eyed bear that you give to me. Yeah. Oh my god. I'm gonna keep that. <laughs> I think I like it. It seems like it seems like a reasonable like gripe. I would be mad at that too. Yeah, like, WTF, bro. Uh, Next up, from pronoun she and her, anonymous. Hello, queens of the bean. Uh, I have never missed a show and cannot possibly express my gratitude for all you do. Someday I will submit a longer explanation about why your work has been important to me, so important to me. But for today, prompted by listening to the good news segment with the mangled lyrics, I decided to send something (laughs) I've been thinking about the last few days. I was in an acapella group in college. Me too. She goes, shout out to the Smith College Smithereens. Ooh, and I also love the Smithereens, the band. So good. And we did a whole bit about lyrics gone wrong. Canary in a coal mine became canary in a coma. (laughs) 
Oh, no. Uh, Every time you go away, you take a piece of me with you. Became every time you walk away, you take a piece of meat with you. A piece of meat. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, Kyrie lays on down the road that I must travel. To be fair, that's a weird one and and doesn't make much sense. But it became carry a a laser (laughs) down, down the road that I must travel. One that wasn't part of our acapella bit was a lyric I misunderstood to the delight of my friends in high school. Somehow I heard, it's going to take a lot of love as it's going to take Lorenzo, apparently a very special guy. <laughs> <laughs> my contribution to the to the daft things I've said is this. I was in line with my boyfriend to go to a large circular aquarium. We were vacationing in the Bahamas, and this was a busy tourist attraction. As we stood in line, I saw a sign that said 360-degree aquarium. So I turned to my boyfriend and said something to the effect of, oh, oh my no. goodness, how do the fish survive in such hot water? <laughs> no! Oh, my God. As the words finished coming out of my mouth, I realized my mistake, but it was too late. Oh, it's At too least late. I gave the other tourists some entertainment while we waited in the long line. <sighs> I'm attaching my pod pet tax. Our sweet doggy is Noel and Nuggy, <laughs> who showed up at our home in the middle of the woods Aww. and stole our hearts. You are all a gift to the world and a force for good. Oh, look at the baby. Oh, my gosh. Babies, and they're gorgeous. Look at that. Oh, that kitty's a three-tone. A calico is so Four-tone. Look at those eyeballs. Tordy? Calico? No idea, but so beautiful. And then look at look at the paws on the cat are just crossed oh. just oh, so, oh, oh, like... Very much a gentleman or gentle lady or gentle cat. That's very nice. Love it. Very proper. Yes. Okay, next up, Nate. He, him, confession, Thursday's show was titled So Much News, featuring Tonza's News. So I googled, who is Tonza News, to find out who your guest was. (laughs) Maybe I should up my coffee intake. (laughs) Hilarious. So we had, it was called So Much News featuring tons of news. T-O-N-S-A, tons of news. Tons of news. Uh, And Nate thought tons of news was a person. (laughs) Man, Nate, I get it. I get it. Attached is a pet tax of our first dog. Her name is Star and was a a rescue husky from a local shelter. Uh, Due to a sudden change in our living situation, we had to, uh, to find someone to adopt her. Now she's living with a loving family who has a huge bit of land for her to enjoy. Oh, that's so sweet. What a honey. A little perfect. Oh. Love, love, love. Oh, she looks she looks like she's thinking very diff- like like she's trying to solve a problem. Yes. Trying to so- she's trying to figure out who the fuck tons of news is. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> that was quite unfair of us to to put that in the featuring section. Yeah, tons of news definitely went to like Harvard Business School. <laughs> it's Dr. Tons of News. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, All right. Amy's court is in session. We have two cases on the docket. First up, from Sally, pronouns she and her, cat v no, no, and nose. (laughs) No, it's no, no, and nose. A little aside before I plead my case, the avatar on my YouTube account is She-Ra, which my kids did for me because they love She-Ra. Okay. Here's my case. It actually involves our new kitty, Cha-Cha. Cha-Cha has a couple of habits that I need help deciding if I should break her of these habits or simply accept them. The first habit is that anytime I go to the bathroom, she runs in and jumps on my lap. She does not do this every time I sit down, only when I sit down on the toilet. I try to accommodate her, (laughs) and I've sat so long that my legs have gone numb. (laughs) No. 
The <gasps> second habit is that when I'm sound asleep in the early morning and she is ready to start the day, she jumps on my chest and sticks her nose in my nostril. Aww. She also rubs her face on my face and starts to groom me. Normal Aww. cat stuff. But why the nose in my nose? Do I need to accept this nasal intrusion or can I set kitty boundaries? <laughs> Should I let cha-cha slide? Haha. <laughs> Thanks in advance for your wisdom and guidance in this matter. Oh, look. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Look at this. Cha-cha. That is a beautiful cat. Here's the thing. Cha-cha looks like Cha-cha can do no wrong. Yeah, kind of. Like, okay. But also, okay, so here's what I think. I think the toilet situation, maybe a little boundary needs to be put there only because, you know, you're on the toilet. You got to do your business, okay? Um, And so, yes, maybe a boundary, read the toilet. However, I feel like the nose in the nostril is very cute. Mm -hmm. And... I mean, is it that disruptive? I mean, it, she's got a tiny nose. Like, that's super cute. I say you let that one stand. <laughs> I kind of agree. Yeah. I, You know what? I, I, I concur with your ruling, Judge Amy. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, because the thing is, too, I don't know what it is about cats. I don't know the rules about cats on your lap and bathrooms. You know what I mean? I don't know if it's like teaching the cat that the bathroom is like a place that it isn't. I don't know. I know, you know, with dogs and stuff, like their, their bathroom is important for them as far as like where they go to the bathroom, et cetera. Mm. So maybe that seems like a good boundary to place. Yeah, maybe. You agree? Yeah. I close the door when I go to the restroom because n- yeah. 100 times out of 100, the cats will come in there while I'm in the bathroom. Really? Uh-huh. That's, you know what? You know what I heard, learned about dogs, though? Because my dog does this thing where when my husband goes to the bathroom because he uses the <laughs> – he's relegated to the guest bathroom because, well – you know, boy poops. And so he, you know, when he goes into the boy's bathroom, or the boy's bathroom, when he goes into the hall bathroom, that's usually he's going to poop. And the dog waits outside the door. And we thought this was like always so weird. So we asked a trainer friend of ours and he said that, um, oh, he's a listener, by the way, our friend Mike under down. Um, he said that, that it's dogs have a protective thing and they just want to protect you. So maybe they know that you're like having this vulnerable moment where your pants are down and they just want to protect you. So maybe your dog, maybe your cat's trying to protect you. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Cause maybe they want to make sure you're not going into the shower to get covered with water. Oh God, that too. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. What, uh, what, what do we have next? Okay. We got from Emma pronouns. She, her dad versus QWERTY cats. Hi, pod queens. I submit a dispute between my father and our cats. Our cats gravitate towards whatever is warm, especially the keyboard on my dad's open laptop. (laughs) Consequently, this device is often found with all sorts of windows open, settings changed, and texts garbled, expletives and outrage ensue, uh, stressing me out. This is repeated most days. Who is in need of reform? The cats for their biblical levels of sloth and covetousness. My dad for thinking he can leave his irresistibly hot laptop open and unsupervised for even like just one minute or me for not wanting to hear about it. Attached is one of our cats, Cody, who is somehow both derpy and sultry and just all around a perfect prince of a cat who, uh, for whom strings and toys are but a fleeting distraction from his obsession, interest, obsessive interest in deep and prolonged eye contact. Oh my god! That is what I'm putting uh, on my dating profile: derpy and sultry. All at the same time. This is a gift. Aww. A gift. Well, I mean, look. This this seems 
like a you know this 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 could be this could get bad you know now we live in the in the times of zoom you know and let's just say that like let's put up a, a fake scenario here a hypothetical scenario your dad has laptop open he's in a business zoom right he's like you know what i gotta take a whiz so he he mutes his his thing and he he takes away the video and then the cats are like haha finally some warmth under warmth under my paws and they do some cat qwerty magic and somehow now the laptop is back on video and unmuted or or either or <laughs> and then your dad comes back having washed his hands but maybe he forgot to like zip up his fly or whatever you know things we do at home and then he's caught by his whole business meeting doing this thing which you know could be a problem so I would say your dad should figure out a way to either Train these cats, and I don't know how to train a cat, so I'm no help here. Train these cats that the hot keyboard is off the off limits, or find a way to like maybe kind of close the laptop without totally closing it. Does that make sense? This is mm. this is sucks, but uh, but I totally agree that it is it was probably very annoying for you, and I and I agree that you shouldn't have to hear about it. Mm. Yeah, my my answer is much easier. The, the human has to adjust. That's <laughs> just sort of that's just always sort of my <laughs> my answer to cat. Yeah, problem. I know. We're we're kind of biased here. Yeah, we're, we're usually we're usually going with the cats. I always keep my laptop closed. And there's another solution though that I've seen that is pretty interesting. Ooh, what? People will put decoy keyboards. Um, Ooh. you know, if you have an old keyboard sitting around. Um, now they're not warm, but they do sometimes do the trick. Sometimes the cat just wants to lay on the keyboard or uh, a heating pad. Like I have a back heating pad. I, I'll put that out and turn it on and the cats will just go there oh instead of God. onto my laptop. That's really cute. I I think that's super cute. The heating pad's such a good idea. Yeah. But um, what an adorable kitty though. Such a cute kitty. Um, can I make a confession that I, I have a, I have a, a duh moment for this week. It's not mine. Oh, but yes, it's please. so good. Okay. So I have a friend who is one of the funniest people I know, but like secret funny. You know, like when you meet her, you're like, does she like me or does she hate me? Like you can't really tell. You know what I mean? But then when you get to know her and she gets kind of like, you know, to know you, then she's super funny, which is my favorite kind of person, just a secret funny. Well, f until this year, she used to think do do a thing where, you know, when people say like, yeah, just give it a whirl. Like, yeah, just give it a whirl. You know, like, try it out. Give it a whirl. She would say, give it a whale. Hmm. <laughs> How fucking weird is that? <laughs> it doesn't even sound close to it. Like, give it a whale. What? <laughs> like, no one in her life, in her 30 odd years of living, had ever been like, no, no, you mean give it a whirl? Anyway, I thought that was a pretty good one. Yeah, I had a, an ex who used to say weird things like he'd call it a skin regiment instead of a regimen. <laughs> uh, and uh, and uh, on a larf instead of on a lark. Oh, man. Um, yeah. And it's I was amazing. like, okay, well, I can't. I broke up with him for that. Yeah, so you're like, I can't fine. possibly um, continue to date you. Yeah, because either I'm just going to correct you all the time, which you'll probably dump me for, or I'll just break up with you first. Exactly. It's a very kind of... Very kind of a scrubs uh, ending to a relationship, if you've ever seen that show. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you're just too dumb for me. Ooh, 
If you remember, Elliot was always annoyed by something weird, like the coasters. She doesn't use a coaster or yeah, whatever, and yeah, that's yeah. why she broke up with that super hot guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So Love it's it. just me and the cats, and uh, the cats win every time. You and Bruce Willis and co. <laughs> Bruce Willis and co. Well, thank you all for sending these in. If you have any you want to send to us, you could do that at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Uh, if you want to get these shows ad-free, you can do that for as little as three bucks a month. Just go to patreon.com slash the daily beans, I think. Yeah. And um, gosh, I think that's all I have other than I, I hope everyone joins us on stereo. It's... Um, the Daily Beans Stereo After Party is Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific, and the Cleanup on Aisle 45, which is our new podcast that comes out on Wednesdays, which is about, you know, cleaning up after this administration. Uh, we do that every Tuesday at 5 on the Stereo app. It's free. Just go to Stereo.com slash Allison Gill, 2Ls and Allison, 2Ls and Gill. Download it. It's rad. I love it. So cool. Yeah. Uh, all right. That's all I have. Do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here for the weekend, Amy? Have a great weekend. If anybody has any tips on how to produce a usable macaron, please let me know. I have made like four batches and I'm trying to troubleshoot and it's really hard. Oh. So if anybody has any suggestions, let me know. Oh, hey, you know what's cool? What? A source just confirmed to Hugo Lowell, <gasps> um, national political reporter. Uh, that the U.S. Attorney's Office is in possession of security camera footage of possible rioters being given tours. <gasps> oh, shit. Get out. Whoa. Oh, my Nothing God. Nothing else. Just security camera footage. No visitor logs or entry records. Oh, but that, but that's, I mean, that's really good. I feel like we could, we could deduce. Twitter, do your thing. Mm, Release mm, the mm, footage. Mm. I bet, you know what? I'm not even going to make predictions. I'll leave that to you because you're so good at it. But, like, I, for one, am very interested. Um... And who was giving these tours? As am I. And I'm also really interested to see who gets selected to be the new U.S. attorney in the District of Columbia. Ooh, yep, 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 yep. That's going to be fun. All right, cool. Well, everybody, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of your mental health, and take care of the planet. I've been A.G. And I've been Amy Carrero. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is directed, written, and hosted by executive producer Allison Gill and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Audio. Staff writers include Dana Goldberg, Amy Carrero, and Allison Gill. Our copy is written by Jesse Egan, and our marketing manager, executive assistant, and social media director is Kanai. Fact-checking and research by Allison Gill, Dana Goldberg, and Amy Carrero. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder of Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. Hey, everybody, do not miss our Daily Beans after party on the Stereo app. We'll be going live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Dana and I want to hear from you. Our last Stereo show went a little bit like this. And uh, we're here doing our live after party. Daily Beans after party is what they're they're calling it, what the kids are calling it these days. It reminds me of I just watched (laughs) the 30 Rock episode where Liz Lemon was like, uh, out with the Tracy Jordan and he's like are you going to the after 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 party and they end up like on somebody's roof but yeah just finished watching that vote the vote to oust Marjorie Taylor Greene from Woo-hoo! her two committees uh, I, I think I was incorrect I think the last time we were here live I said that she was only I thought she was only on one committee she was on two committees she yeah. was on education and labor and also on the budget committee like education what? education she's on the committee 
of edgy she was was because she got voted off of education yeah and 11 republicans voted alongside democrats to oust her from these seats uh so we're gonna see how the backlash of that plays out because as you know mccarthy was like well what about maxine waters and what about so-and-so and they get to keep their committee seats like they committed like they wanted other people to be executed or believed that 9-11 was not real or what like come exactly. on like stop stereo is the app for live social conversations we want to talk directly with you the listeners ask us questions about news politics anything and you can share your experiences and opinions and we want to hear it all so download the new app called stereo and join us live this week thursday 5 p.m pacific link to our show in the description and join us over on the stereo app